You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. You must choose a path forward. What do you do? Maybe you pull out the old notebook, right? You draw the line right down the center of the page. One side, all the positives of one decision. Here's all the negatives, and you make your list. You're talking it over with your family, with your spouse, with your friends, and you're making all the pluses and minuses. How many have done that before, right? Maybe you've done the what some business leaders used to use the term SWOT, right? S-W-O-T, strengths. Weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. What are the strengths of going this route? What are the weaknesses? What are the opportunities this decision might lead to? And what are the threats that might uh, be presented if we go that route? And we do our best to make good, godly decisions. Are you in a season of decision-making? Proverbs 16, 9 simple little proverb that rocks our world. People make their plans, right? But God, what? Say it with me. We pick the path. We say, here's the decision. Here's the route. But God just seems to direct life. How many know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line? Right? And that's usually the decisions we make are a straight line. God, this is the direction I want to go, and I'm at point A. I make the decision to go to point B, and I like the straight line. How many know the li- life doesn't go in straight lines? We make our decisions. This is where my family should go. This is how I should discipline my son. This is where I want to go to college. This is how my marriage should be. We pick The decision, we make the decision, but we know life just seems to make things crazy. It reminds me, especially since this is Bears Packers Sunday, and Bears are actually fun to watch again. It reminds me of this one particular play. It's it's first, I think it's, maybe it's first and goal on the eight-yard line, or maybe it's first, and maybe they're going to get a first down at the three-yard line, but they're eight yards away from the end zone. They're playing the dreaded, hated Patriots, and I'm watching the Bears game, and I watched one of the craziest runs of the season, and I was like jumping up and down and screaming, you have eight yards to go, just run a straight line, just get into that end zone, run straight ahead. Watch this. Dime package here for the Pats. Trubisky spins the other way. Looks. Trubisky will run. Trubisky in for the touchdown. Mitch Trubisky. Eight yards to go for the touchdown. I've made the decision. We're going to the end zone. How many yards? Did Mitchell Trubisky actually run? 72. Eight yards to go. How many know that's how life kind of goes? We make our decisions, but God directs our paths, and always for the Bears into the end zone, especially this afternoon. Direct their paths, O Lord. In all seriousness, 
Are you in a moment of decision? There's this tension, and it's a godly tension, a wrestling, if you will, between the decisions we feel we need to make, good ones, godly ones, but acknowledging that God's got to direct us. And believers in seasons of decision are at that point of tension. God, here's the decision. What's your direction? In the Christmas story, we find this tension. We're talking about, do you see what I see? Are we able to see what God is doing through the birth of of Jesus. We introduced the topic last week. Remember the, the classic Christmas song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Do You See What I See? Do You Know What I Know? And it's actually written when you see the lyrics, Do You See What I See? A star, a star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. And if you were here last week, we talked about the context of that song written in 1962 at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The kite with a tail as long, I mean, the star with a tail as long as a kite isn't the star over Bethlehem, it's a missile. And they're saying, in this moment of pain and fear and chaos, do you hear what I hear? Are you able to see what I see? Can you, in your everyday life, see what God sees? Last week it was the miracle in the midst of the mess. That from the fall, the moment sin entered the world until the birth of Jesus, God had to navigate that beautiful story of Jesus' birth through a lot of mess. Do you see what God sees? In the messes of life, God can birth a miracle and bring about His will. Today, direction in the seasons of difficulty. Next week, the signs that point us to the Savior. And then Pastor Dave will wrap up this series with victory over evil, looking at the birth of Jesus in the story or in the, in the gospel of Matthew. In the story of Matthew, in the narrative of Jesus' birth, we find a powerful decision and direction tension, a decision that needs to be made and a direction that God needs to give. Are you in a season of decision. Listen to the story of Jesus' birth as Kurt shares it with us this morning. It's from Matthew chapter 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly as he considered this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child with her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred uh, to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Joseph had a big decision to make. Joseph had a critical decision to make. His betrothed was pregnant. What would he do? What was his decision? This decision had to go God's way. This decision, the decision of Joseph, had to go the path God needed it to go. Everything hung in the balance. Verse 21 says, She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why Jesus? Because Jesus will save people from their sins. You'll name him Jesus. Joseph, you're the one naming this child. Joseph, you must name him Jesus. Yeshua or Joshua in the Hebrew. Jesus in the Greek. The name simply means Yahweh saves. The Yahweh, the creator, the almighty, the one true God saves people from sins. And aren't you thankful for that? Think of the destruction and the chaos, the pain that sin causes. Think of the, sin, the pain that your sins have caused. Jesus heals those. Think of the sinful pain you've experienced. Jesus heals those. Jesus is the pivotal one in all of human history that takes all the pain brokenness, and destructive power of sin. And he restores it, redeems it, and brings new life to people. That's Jesus. Joseph, you better make the right decision. The gospel writer, Matthew, with 50 years of hindsight, how many know hindsight is? 2020. Matthew writing his gospel about 50 years or so after this moment in history puts this aside. All of this occurred, verse 22. All of this stuff occurred. Remember, this is Matthew 50 years down the road looking back. All of this stuff is happening. Joseph didn't understand it all. Mary didn't understand it all quite yet. But with 50 years of 2020 hindsight, Matthew says all of this was happening because Isaiah had said, it was fulfilling Isaiah's words from 750 years earlier, look, The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and they will call him, say it with me, Emmanuel. God is with us. That's a powerful preposition. With. That God is now with us. Jesus had to come. Joseph had to name him Jesus. God had a 750-year-old prophecy to be fulfilled. This decision mattered because we need God. You need God with you. Maybe you're here today and you are trudging through life alone. You may believe in God. You may talk to God. You may question God. You may ponder about God. But are you with God? Is God with you? Emmanuel, 
God with us. In the, in the Greek, that idea of with us is something that doesn't, it isn't passive, it's active. He's now with me, and from this relationship forward, everything has been changed and affected and impacted. God is now with me. Powerful. Joseph had to make a decision. And what decision did he make? Joseph, do you see what I see? Do you see what God sees? Verse 19, Joseph to whom Mary was betrothed or engaged. He was a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he made a decision. Joseph decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph had two choices in his mind. He needed to make a decision. Choice number one was to disgrace her publicly, to bring shame to her family, to bring her before the officials, the religious leaders, the authorities of the day, and say, this woman, my betrothed, the one who was we were pledged to be married is now pregnant. She's committed adultery. She's guilty. In a shame-based culture, where everything was built around the family honor, not only would Mary suffer the shame, but her parents, her siblings, the family would be labeled and publicly disgraced. That's door number one, posted on Facebook. Door number two is to just quietly back away and let this go. Door number one, door number two. Joseph had to make a decision, probably drew his legal pad, pluses and minuses, started talking, what should I do? He had to make a decision. Joseph could have decided to shame her publicly. It was within his rights. He had the legal and religious right to bring truth to light. He had the right to say, you have betrayed me, you have violated God's covenant, you must stand and give an account for your behavior. That was within his rights. How many know just because you have the right, it doesn't make it righteous? Not enough of us. How many know just because you have the right to say something, just because you have the right to extract your pound of flesh back, just because you have the legal authority to do something, doesn't make it a righteous decision. So Joseph had the legal right. He also had the emotional justification. He was hurt. We often picture Mary coming to Joseph and saying, hey, I need to share this with you. I'm pregnant in the awkward conversation that wouldn't say, what? How could you do this to me? My guess is that never happened. My guess is in the shame-based culture, in a, in a patriarchal, patriarchal structure of the first century, it was probably Mary's father or Mary's older brother who went to Joseph and Joseph's dad or the family and said, I'm very sorry to share this with you. There's no way, in my mind, Mary left the house. And Joseph is learning about this third hand. What? How could this have happened? I know it's hard to understand. We don't understand it either. Mary claims it's this God thing. I don't know if she's lost her mind. I don't, I'm so sorry. Please don't embarrass our family. Please don't embarrass our family. And Joseph had every emotional justification to rant on Facebook to the whole community. He was betrayed. He was dishonored. 
this family arranged marriage, this future that Joseph had envisioned, this future marriage and family. He could see it, and all of that was taken from him. That lady stole it from me. His anger and his hurt gave him every emotional justification to make the decision to shame her publicly. But just because you can emotionally justify your behavior doesn't make it righteous. Boy, if our culture would pursue righteousness instead of emotional justification. I want to say this just because I'm mad. Well, keep your anger to yourself. Get over it. Be righteous. Just because you're offended by some business who let you down doesn't give you a righteous um, permission to rant and hurt people. Joseph made a good, godly decision because he was righteous. Righteousness is mirroring the character and the nature of God. That his choices, his decisions, his words actually reflected the character and nature of his creator. Did you know that you were created to mirror God? The way you speak, the way you act, the way you behave at work, your responsibility on the job, your tenderness at home, your servant-hearted nature, everything about you should be a mirror reflecting the beauty of our merciful, loving, just, and kind, and compassionate God. That's what righteousness is. It's not legal justification or moral, I mean, or, or emotional justification. It's I will behave as God would want me to behave. That's Joseph. He had a decision to make. Choice A, shame her publicly. Choice B, just let her go and mercifully back away. Joseph made a righteous decision. Joseph made a good decision, a godly decision. Doesn't it feel good when you make a decision? You're riding in the car. You know, you're a family of five. Hey, what do you guys want to get to eat? And suddenly a 15-minute argument ensues, right? You've got the Giordano's crowd. You've got the Chick-fil-A crowd. You've got the, you know, the Slim Chicken crowd. And everyone's arguing back where you want to eat. And you're just like, please, can we make a decision? And finally just dad pulls into the car, you know, pulls the car through the drive-thru. Or mom just says, enough, here's where we're going. It feels good to make a decision feels good when your junior high daughter standing in front of her closet. The clock is ticking. we got to get to school. It says, I guess I'm going to wear that. And you're like, thank the Lord we made a decision. <laughs> Decisions feel good. I imagine as Joseph wrestled with this, door number one, door number two, he chooses a good door, the righteous door, the right choice. I imagine that pressure of making a decision. Finally, It's hard, it's sad, it hurts, but I've made my decision. Joseph made a good decision, but it wasn't what God wanted him to do. Let me say that again. Joseph made a righteous decision, but it wasn't what God wanted him to do. To decide is great. To be directed by the Lord is better. Verse 20. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, 
Son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. There's a key phrase in there. As, say it with me, as he... Yeah, that didn't work very well. The first five words, as he considered this, as Joseph considered this, that's a powerful phrase. Door number one, door number two, I've got to make a decision, God. Here's my decision. It's based on righteousness. It's merciful. It's loving. It's kind. It's the best decision that I know to make. And as he considered this, when you consider something, you open your life up, space and time, for God to direct your steps. Decisions don't end the process for the Christ follower. Let me say that again. Decisions don't end the process. A decision comes from within. Direction from without. A decision is born out of our character. Direction out of God's revelation. Decisions relieve the stress of the confusion. Direction reveals the path of God. What happens in our life when we do our best to make godly decisions and we give God space and time to consider His path? We make our plans. We make our decisions. Good, 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 great. But do you allow God to direct your path? When we take time to consider the will of God, God can reveal a divine plan C. Let me say that again. When we take time to consider God's path, God's direction, God can sometimes reveal a divine plan C. For Joseph, he only had plan A and plan B. Door number one, publicly shame her. Door number two, don't publicly shame her. Just let it break off quietly. But there was a door number three that only God could see. For Joseph, it was impossible to imagine marrying someone who had betrayed him. It can't happen. It won't happen. It wouldn't be godly. It won't be right. I've got door number one, door number two. And as I ponder and consider, there's space and time. And God brings an angel and says, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid to take door C. Because I'm at work here. And you need not fear what I'm doing in your life. When we consider, God can reveal a divine plan C. God can provide divine confirmation. You make your decision. You start walking forward. You're saying, this is where I'm going toward the end zone. I'm going to go through this doorway. And you need to be considering and listening to God to say, that's right. You're going in the right path, taking the right steps. God will bring key words of encouragement, prophetic moments in your life, answers to prayer. You'll be reading the scripture like you do every day, and all of a sudden a verse you've read a thousand times will leap off the page into your heart, and you said, yes, I am going the right way. Sometimes it's divine correction. You've made a good decision the best you could. You've done your pluses and minuses. You've done the strengths and threats and all of that. And you said, this is the way I should go. It makes sense. And you get four or five steps in and you're like, whoa. God's warned me to stop. 
a wise counselor has spoken in my life, said, hey, you better think about this a little bit more. God's revealed something in Scripture that puts a divine check in my heart. Maybe it's the wrong way. Maybe it's the wrong time. Maybe you've got the wrong people involved. And you're like, whoa, I just, I need to consider. There's a difference between a good decision and godly direction. Many of you today are facing a decision, A or B, A or B, A or B. Make the best decision you can, but keep considering God's direction through the entire process. When you consider, here's three questions to ask in our final few moments before we go to prayer. Number one, when you're considering, ask this question, what's driving me? What's driving me to this decision? What's the leading voice inside my heart? What's the leading words speaking into my head? What's all this stemming from? For Joseph, the emotion of betrayal and hurt and rejection. Maybe the fear of the future. Maybe in you, it's these insecurities. Maybe it's the voice of a parent, a voice of someone who's always seeking to control you and direct you. And that is so confusing. And you realize, man, what's really driving me isn't good. Because you've taken time to consider before you speak and before you act. Sometimes it can even be good drives within us. Driving forces in us that are good and godly, but it's not where God is directing you. Sometimes you're faced to make a decision and you know God is directing you down a path that puts you at financial risk. Wouldn't I be much more secure keeping this for myself, God? Wouldn't it be better to hold on to this for my family? Why are you speaking to me about giving that to missions? Why are you telling me to begin tithing at this time when things are so delicate at work and I'm afraid? It may be good motives. Be secure. Be safe. Be cautious. But deep down you know what's driving you. Although it may be good, it's not God. And you hear God speaking to you. No, trust me. Take that jump into starting that ministry. Take that jump and that risk for me. Have that conversation with the neighbor. Go across the hallway, down across there, into that break room and talk to that person. Oh, but God, they could. What's driving you? A good decision must remain open to times of consideration to ask what's driving me. Question number two, what's distracting me? That's stuff outside of us. What's influencing us around us? This, this week, I was driving my daughter to school. We were running a little bit late. Um, and last time I was running a little bit late, I had these lights and sirens and a little piece of paper that led to traffic school. So at least for the next year, when we're running a little late, I'm going to drive a little slow. So I'm running late. And I'm on the phone, and I'm talking to one of our great young adults, Austin Martinez. It was Wednesday morning, late start. I'm on the phone with one of our awesome young adults. He's going to be the host home for Ryan Schumacher, or Schumacher our, our kid's pastor, while he and Jenna are looking to buy a house. And I'm on the phone talking with him about those arrangements and ideas, and I drive right past the exit to the interstate to get my daughter over to Normal West. And I'm like, oh, no, I missed the path. Thankfully, Shelbourne's right there coming around, and we made it, made it on time, and I didn't speed. Only a little. <laughs> Five miles over. It's only normal. They'll never pull me over for that. What's distracting you? Maybe it's a little digital thing in your hand. 
that when God's trying to get your attention in the quiet hours of your evening, you're lost in Facebook and you can't receive direction from God. You can make your decisions and they may be good ones, but God wants to direct your path. What's distracting you? Maybe there are too many voices around you from your painful, sinful past that say, oh, come on, why are you doing that? Why are you doing? And you need to shut those voices out because it's not just what's driving us on the inside. It's what's distracting us from the outside. And finally, probably the most difficult question to ask and the one that just slices me down to size, what's dividing me? What's driving me? What's distracting me? And the hardest one to discern is what's dividing me. We all know this verse. We speak it often. We quote it often. If you need wisdom, if you're at a point of decision and you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will never rebuke you for asking for wisdom. We quote it. We stand on it. We believe in it. We get in our life groups. We confess that and pray that. God, we're asking for wisdom for our friend. That's powerful. That's good. But don't leave out the next couple verses. The very next verse starts with a negative conjunction. But, in other words, while you're asking for wisdom, there's something you could be doing wrong. And man, this is so hard for your pastor. Because it's just as hard for you too. But when you ask God for wisdom, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Of course it is. That's why I'm coming to you, God. I trust in you. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty. Traditionally, that's translated doubt. That is a great word to translate there. But divided loyalty captures the heart of doubt. The word doubt, it's a compound word in the Greek. First part of the word is dia, like dialogue. If you have a dialogue with someone, what are you doing? You're going back and forth. It's a dialogue, right? Dia, back and forth. The second part of the word is about judgment. Like, so it's back and forth in your judgment, in your discernment of what God is speaking. You keep going back and forth. It's as if God says one thing, and I'm like, well, that's true, God, but I'm just going to do this. This is true, God, but I'm just going to do that. It's subtracting a little bit from what God had said or adding to it. You're going back and forth from the target. You're double-minded. God says to you, tithe, and you say, okay, I will. I'll start at 3%. God says, break up with that girl. It's going the wrong way. He said, oh, I'll just see her less often. It's like I hear the judgment of God, and I have faith in God, but I'm doubting. I'm like, I can take you at your word, but I just want to do a little bit extra or do a little less. That's what doubt is. I've struggled with this in my life as I go to God and for prayers of wisdom. Oh, God, I need your wisdom and direction. And I feel so insecure because I feel this verse says, hey, if you're double-minded, if you're wavering, don't expect to hear from God. And I have this tense conversation like, well, of course I'm wavering because I don't know what to do. How can I not be confused? God, I don't know the options and I'm afraid to come to you and ask for wisdom because I'm confused. And oh, it's given me such peace to know. My responsibility, wait for God to make it clear. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. Don't let anything divide my loyalty to what God has spoken. And when you take time to move beyond the surface of decision to direction and you consider, what's driving me, God? What's distracting me? 
What's dividing my loyalty? And you give God space and time in your moments of decision. You will go from simply making good decisions, righteous decisions, to God directing your paths and his direction being revealed to you in miraculous ways. James goes on to say, such people, verse 7, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because the Lord knows you're going to take it too far or you're not going to go far enough. You won't even, you're so divided in your loyalty, you won't follow through. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, God and money, God and the applause of men, God and your reputation, God and your own pride, God and your own sense of justice, God and your fear of being alone, God and your preferred outcome, God and, God and, God and, stop it, just God. Just God. I'll obey. Thankfully, Joseph wasn't double-minded. He made a good decision, but it wasn't directed by God. He took time to consider, and God directed his path. Are you facing a major decision this morning? Maybe you're in a time of deep trouble. Maybe you're in a time of chaos and uncertainty and fear. Maybe the rug's been yanked out from under you today. Maybe the diagnosis came this week. Maybe you're struggling on how to discipline your young adult son or daughter. Maybe you've received news that has rocked your world, and you're standing in need of decision. Look for God to give you direction. Make a righteous decision. Make it in prayer. Make it in in a sensitivity of what God's character is. And then remain considering so God can give you direction. Dear brothers and sisters, James says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Do you see what I see? In your moment of difficulty, in that moment of decision, God can give you direction. God can give you wisdom. Look at what's driving you. Look at what's distracting you. And allow God to take away all the divided loyalty so you simply trust Him and He will direct your paths. Will you stand with me this morning? Are you in the moment of decision? Are you standing today in a season where a decision must be made? God's direction needs to be given. You want to follow the path God has for you. Prayerfully, righteously make that decision. But consider, give space and time for God to direct your paths. Some of you today are in that moment of decision and you need to say, God, I'm coming to you for wisdom. I'm coming to you not just to help me make a decision, but because I need your divine direction in my life. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.